Oh my, my, aren't we blessed with uh, tremendous music and the pr- tremendous ways of blessing the Lord also through that, yes? I think we are, and um, you know, we are in this whole kind of a, a series, a season of uh, emphasis on life together, and we walked the la- last uh, many weeks, we walked through some of the central chapters of the Gospel of Luke that highlights what that really means. And, and today we may come to somewhat of a climactic thing in terms of just the radical words uh, that Jesus uh, have here uh, in this uh, sermon, if you will. Uh, we're going to read in just a minute from chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 27. And the kind of the heading of all that is what we have heard so many times, but rarely probably dealt with sufficiently. I'm not su- suggesting that I could do that in, in the time we have here or even uh, have the capacity to do that in the full sense of what that is, but how to love your enemies. Now, that, that's a toughing, isn't it? You know, uh, <clears throat> love unites, hate scatters, right? Light unifies, darkness make people run everywhere. Uh, there's just something about the centrality of this word that we can't exaggerate. Uh, that's how powerful it is. We live in a strange, strange world where, where as much as at any time we, we try to, we see people kind of group up, but they, they have their own little ideas and whether they do it in, in real life or they have an imaginary group in some kind of social, uh, environment online or whatever, uh, we get this sense that, that, uh, when you're with your own kind, things are good, and then there are all these other kinds that are that are not so good. And, and before you know it, you'll notice that that things, all these bad things, that evil and hate and mystery, all raise their ugly heads. And sometimes, friends, and you know that, it looks as if they are going to win out. So many people have have preconceived notions about other people or, or people who are belonging to other groups than, than the ones <clears throat> that they belong to. And, and we have this strange kind of capacity as human beings that once we have kind of classified and put people where we thought that that must be where they belong because they also belong here, that we treat those that we, for some reason or another, consider our friends with the greatest sense, just the patience, greatest sense of forgiveness. We, we can excuse just the most inexcusable things sometimes if they belong to our group. Whereas if they belong to one of the groups that we consider opponents of some of the things that, that we are, we are about, they, there's just the smallest, tiniest little error that we, something that we can find that we don't like and, and we have zero patience and zero level of forgiveness and we're just out there in that way. Jesus speaks in these verses in the strongest way against this. And he's not talking and listing out details so much. He's talking about the ethos. 
And everyone who knows that word ethos, they will know that ethos is kind of the, 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 the spirit that permeates a certain kind of community. And so uh, what he is saying is that this ethos that I'm describing here is the, the, the ethos of the spirit uh, that, that needs to create the culture among those who belong to me. And this is really a matter of, of spiritual maturity. We know intuitively, instinctively, almost when we, when we meet people who are quick to kind of decipher and place people in groups that we are dealing with immature people. People who are spiritually immature are just immature in general. And yet, when we accept that, we realize that this is not a simple matter. None of us can see ourselves clear completely. When Jesus talks about learning to love our enemies, we have to admit that when we think about certain people and think about other people, that it can be difficult to behave the same way completely toward everybody. So, uh, having said that, if you have found your, your Bible text, we're going to deal with just that. Uh, it is so tempting here to kind of just get lost in, in illustrations and great stories and emotion and all that. Instead, I thought, let me just deal with the text that we know what is it that Jesus is saying. Because both friends and foe can be for real, but they can also be imaginary. We imagine these people would be our friends, but they're not. Uh, We imagine these people would be our enemies or our adversaries, but they're not. So um, when we look at this, listen to what Jesus is saying, right? It doesn't really matter how we perceive things or why we have it the way he does. He commands us, not suggest, not encourages, not kind of, you know, challenging us to do, to try this out. He is commanding using an active verb in the imperative form, command, you must love your enemies. That's how it goes. And it's, it's not easy when it's followed up, especially with some very clear words about doing good toward those who flat out hate you. So let's read that. These are words from the Lord that we call our Lord, Jesus Christ. He says, I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Praise for those, I mean, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold it back. Uh, but don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks. And for someone who takes your things, don't ask them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. If you do good 
Well, you do what is good to those who are good to you. What credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend uh, to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that is, what is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Look at the text, friends. You'll see how it begins. The text we read last Sunday, just uh, right above, right beginning in verse 20, he said, he, he turned to his disciples and he said, here it begins, now all of you who are listening, that includes everyone, whether you consider yourself a disciple uh, or not, if you hear the words of Jesus, I want you to listen is what he is saying, regardless of who you are. So this is a broad word about ethos, about the very spirit that permeates the culture of the community that is here. The lines in that way are kind uh, drawn up when the Lord of life is speaking. Uh, he is not giving us some kind of utopian tale about what would be nice or what paradise might look like or, or even, you know, this is something that, that of course no one can attain. So I'm just putting it out there as a goal. Do with it whatever you can. That is not really his point at all. And if I may be so bold as to give an example from, from our own history, if you will. You know, Baptists, uh, like, like all Protestants, really kind of began in, in the early to mid-1500s, right, in the Reformation. But the Anabaptists uh, who, uh, are those who, who, uh, who saw more radically what the Bible required as they were reading. They were saying, well, to, to be a Christian, you must have a clear confession that Jesus is Lord. And then upon that confession, you get baptized as that first act of obedience. And then from that flows a life of obedience where Jesus is Lord. And, and you are, this just about discipleship. The whole life after that is, is about following him as a disciple that tries to be like him. That, that's, Anabaptist, uh, in a nutshell, kind of the vision of, of Anabaptist life, our forefathers. And, and of course, the state church didn't like any of that, right? And so they, they were drowning them to kind of stop that movement. Some of the leaders, it happened in the, in the river of Zurich uh, in Switzerland, and, and they would take him and they would bind their legs together and a big rock and just sink him to the bottom of the river. And as this has been reported, and you can read about these reports, uh, so many of them, uh, uh, it's told that they were, their wives and their children were walking beside them and, and encouraged them to keep their minds pure. Don't recant. Don't hate. Love those who are doing this, but do not recant. 
We hear similar stories of people who are being decapitated even today by around the world. Those of you who know how hard in many places it could be to be a Christian. They're decapitated by ISIS and other groups. Again, with the prayer on their lips. That just express love and not hate. Now, I know, friends, that um, this is a hard text. I'm not trying to just say do this. I know this is tough. And many of us do not live up to, uh, to the description that Jesus is giving here about what true, genuine love actually looks like. But that doesn't mean that this is not a a real, true, genuine description of what love is supposed to look like among those who call Jesus Lord. Among those who said he is our Lord when they give their Christian confession. Again, about ethos. His followers are asked to be an alternative community where love and forgiveness and grace and everything else looks different. Friends, we are at the very heart of Jesus' message here about discipleship and what life together must and should look like. More than anything is what he's saying. Love should dominate life among Christians. Even if they're heated. Even if they're cursed. Look at the language, how tough it is. Mistreated, beaten, robbed, stripped of their rights for that matter. And we ask, where can we find even an image of that? Even a model for what that looks like. And Jesus is not slow to give us that. He says here in verse 35b, for God is gracious to those who are ungrateful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just like he is merciful. Do the same. And then he illustrates with this kind of riveting illustration. And I think most people know whether they never opened half uh, scripture or even just flipped the book. They still know that saying about turning the other cheek. And most people would say also, well, you know, that's just some kind of utopian, uh, idealistic nonsense that doesn't work in our day and age. Friends, I'm gonna, I'm here to tell you that scripture says that it is exactly that attitude that Jesus is trying to change. That is exactly what he is saying here. Because those who say, well, I'm gonna have to take care of that myself, they're doing just that. Where Jesus says, turn to God. Turn to God who will grant you the power to love when you're faced with hate. It is the task of love to transform enmity to friendship. So you look at the text very specifically and precisely of what he's saying here. Verse 27, you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. 
That connects directly to verse 32 when it says, if you love those who love you. What is that? I mean, everybody does that. And in verse 33, if you do good to those who are good to you, well, everybody is good to those who are good to them. That, that's even sinners do that. In other words, if that's all you do, there's no difference between you and everybody else. What does it even mean to call Jesus Lord is what he's saying with this. And so look again. We are thinking, well, our time is different from then. Yeah, it's a lot lighter now than it was. Those who were in the Greco-Roman kind of world, which they all were, but those who were under the heaviest of influence from that side, you know, for them, the, the, the very adage that was there is spoken so well by one of the most well-known of, of these writers, authors, and, and orators of that time. His name is Lucius. He's, he says it like this. And I'm quoting here. He said, I consider it as irrefutable that you should uh, inconvenience your enemies as much as you can. And you should be a service to your friends. That's what carried that Greco-Roman society. And if you turn to the Jewish side, the old first century Jewish uh, people were asking God to give them restoration to revenge them against their enemies and crush them. And, and the Qumran sect, where we have the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls from, directly commanded their followers to hate those who are not following the way of righteousness. That's the background. Those are the people. That's what they know in their head. And Jesus says, hey, I tell you, love your enemies. That is so tough to command he's not asking them to kind of have warm fuzzy feelings toward their their enemies and if that was the case he would have used the word phileo which means warm kind of friendly love uh, he's not asking them to have some kind of passionate intimacy with their enemies if that was the case he would have used another word for love uh, the word eros no He's asking them or commanding them, actually, to have a grace-filled, outgoing, active interest in their people, in the ones that they look at as their enemies and adversaries. And therefore, he says, agape, love your enemies. Agape is this unselfish love, the, the love that God has for us and we're supposed to have even toward our enemies. Agape, your enemies. We can think of so many examples of the difficulties of that, obviously. If anyone is honest with themselves, they know that's the reality. And I, I think one of the strongest uh, things uh, we can see of someone who's actually trying to live into that uh, would be uh, if you read the sermons of, of Martin Luther King and, and the sermons maybe especially that deal with some of these, these verses and, and where he says, stands right outside uh, of, of his house that's been bombed uh, or and he's just released from jail. You see that and time and time again he would say, we must meet hate with love. Just read it. We must not give in 
to hating back. There is, friends, someone who has read Luke six twenty seven. Do with us what you want. We will continue to show love. I read that and I shiver. I have to answer questions like that. How, how do I feel toward those that I just feel pressured by, that I, I sense or oppose, that are not liking or hating the word actually for enemy here, those who are actively trying to take you down? It's not easy. Whether we call them enemies or opponents, adversaries, or we just consider them people who are somewhat of an irritation. Can we say that we have heard Jesus when he says, love your enemies and do good, do good toward those who hate you. Is your life, even our lives, but let me not make it broad. Let's look at us. Is your life marked by Jesus' commandment to love? Or are we just like everybody else? Say, I don't see any difference. And then as we look at that, the text becomes even more concrete. And I got to rush up and, and a little bit here. It's so radical. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That word blessing means to speak good about. Eulogia, good speech, is what the word literally means. To bless. And I have to ask myself, how long has it been since I spoke well of someone that I know didn't like me? Someone who may be actually, actively trying to take me down. Find a good word to say something good about them to other people. Maybe even to God. It's also about speaking good to God. God, I ask you. I say thank you for what they do in this area. That's tough. How long has it been since we praised someone before God? People that even just were not our cup of tea. a good question, a biblical question. It's a discipleship question. It's a life together question. But then Jesus tightens even more. He, he, he starts, says if someone is hitting you on the one cheek, turn the other one. Does that mean we're just supposed to be kind of foolishly good or not care about anything? No, not at all. This is somewhat of an imagery. What Jesus is saying is that old saying about an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth no longer is valid in my, in my community. Meet hate with love. Turn things around. When you are faced with what is unfair... Instead of trying to think through what I can do for revenge, be ready in the spirit to receive even more. That's it. 
The scribes had 613 commandments they had counted in the Old Testament at the time of Jesus. And they had all kind of discussions around, you know, how can I stretch this interpretation? What can that mean? And what is more important and what is less important and all these things. And to Jesus, that was just completely missing the ball. It's not about that, Jesus says. Regardless of if evil stares you straight in the eye. If hate tears up your cheek. You have to let your peaceful gaze dwell and let love be brought forth. Turn the other cheek instead of making up some scheme on revenge. That's really what this is about. And that's tough. I'll be the first friend to admit that. I thought about many times before today. Let me just skip this text. It's just good to read this, this, and then skip this text and go to the next. But friends, we're here. This is life together. And this is about this ethos, this spirit that should permeate the very culture of those who belong to Christ. That's the message for the one that we call our Lord. Think of it this way. He could, with a snap of his finger, have hindered when the whip was lacerating his back before his crucifixion. He could, with a mere word, have hindered the crucifixion would even happen. But he did not. Because love demanded that he did not. Think about this. This is where you see it right here. God is gracious to those who are ungrateful. Therefore, be merciful. Be merciful. Just as he is merciful. I know that's not easy. But if we can learn this, friends, everything will change. I'm not just talking about our church will change. It will. You look around. Louisville will change. Flymont will change. Highland Village will change. I mean, you just mentioned uh, the plethora of cities we have right here. North Texas will change. Texas will change. Just imagine if we could hear what he said. And look away from ourselves. Look to him. And say, oh, Lord, by the power of your spirit. Give me strength to be who you would be in just this situation. Father, I ask as we hear this, whether we are in this room, we are sitting someplace else, watching around the church maybe, but even at home or in a vacation place, someplace. Speak to us with power. These are hard and difficult, radical words indeed, O oh Lord. But we call you Lord. That means when you command, we do. And so when we fail, will you raise us back up? May we sense it in our bones to the very inner part of our being. When there's anything but love conjuring up. 
We need to grow. We want to be spiritually mature, O oh Lord. We want to be called yours. May it not be possible to say about us what you said there. Well, what's that? <laughs> Even sinners do that. Lord, I ask that you will formulate a prayer by your spirit in each heart here. Their own prayer. I trust you speak. Conjure up in each of our minds. Someone that we have not prayed for, we should pray for. Someone we cannot find anything good to say about. waiting for your spirit to do your work in our midst, O oh Lord. Individual homes, individual hearts, neighborhoods, this church, all those who listen. Amen. Friends, we're going to stand and sing a song. And this is also an invitation. Some of you may need to grab someone's hand and come down here and kneel. Someone may want to give your life to Christ. Said, I may know he has said that, but I don't know that I've heard it in my heart. This is the time. You want a good community to be part of, to help you walk that life. We're open. Would love to receive you. Whatever it is God is doing in your heart right now, don't just sit still. I'm asking the same for you who are at home, wherever you are. Take this word and deal with it. Come here if you want to. Pray to Christ and ask him to do his work.